Morning. Um, we are in the Gospel according to Luke, and we started that last week. And there's a lot of reading today um, because I want you to see what Jesus is referring to when he's uh, countering his, um, the, the three temptations uh, from the devil himself. Um, so I'm going to, usually there's a little intro time here, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and we're going to get right into it because I want to make sure we have time. We're going to be in uh, Deuteronomy 8, Deuteronomy 6, uh, Psalm, Psalm uh, 91, I wanted to say 19, and then uh, in Luke 4. And if we have time at the end, after the temptation passage, we'll, um, we'll move on to Jesus showing up in Nazareth and what he does there. So let's pray together, and then uh, we're going we're gonna to move. Let's pray. Lord, we bless you for who you are, for what you do for us, in us, and through us. And Lord, last week we, we read through your genealogy, and it taken from Jesus all the way back to Adam, and we learned that... Uh, your story is our story. And Lord, that's still some of what we're talking about today. But I don't want to tell them what I want them to hear. I want you to tell us what you want us to hear. So stand in my shoes, give me your thoughts, speak with my mouth so that we hear your message for us, not my message for them. And give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive what you would have us see, hear, and receive. We pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. Now, typically, um, I like to flip back in the pages of the scriptures and hold it, but these, there's some things I want to emphasize here. Um, so I've got, I've got the Deuteronomy passages printed on paper in 14 font so I can read it without my glasses. Um, so uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, and I will emphasize the, the passages that we want to kind of be uh, clear on because you'll, you'll recognize them when Jesus speaks back to the devil. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today. This is Deuteronomy. This is after they, they've been wandering around in the desert for 40 years. Um, be careful to follow every command that I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord, Yahweh, the, the L-O-R-D in the, lower, in, the, in the lower caps, always is, that's when his name shows up. Remember how Yahweh, your God, led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your forefathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during those 40 years, during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord, your God, disciplines you. And then a couple of chapters back, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 18, and you'll recognize the first part of this because when we were doing the old and new, um, when we remembered, uh, we would have you recite the Shema. And that it begins right here. Hear, O Israel, <clears throat> the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God, when Yahweh your God 
brings you into the land, the land he swore to your, fa- to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not test the Lord your God as you did at Massah. Be sure to keep the commands that the Lord your God, be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he's given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers, thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord said. And then Psalm 91, 9 through 12. The psalmist says, if you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord, who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your heart or near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, I'll remind you that Luke, in his version of the... um, of the genealogy, he goes, he he does something, he does a few things differently than Matthew does. Number one, Matthew uh, starts with Abraham and goes to Jesus. Luke starts with Jesus and goes back, and he goes back not only to Abraham, but all the way back to Adam. So Jesus, and we we told you this last week, and it's a big word, I I won't go into it too much again, Um, but, but Adam, through one all fell, and death enters the world, then Jesus, the second Adam, it's called the recapitulation theory of the atonement. Jesus, through Jesus, the second Adam, all, all have an opportunity to live eternally. The reason that Luke puts his genealogy between the baptism and the temptation is in part so that the people of God who know the scriptures, now a lot of the audience of Luke, not people that really know the scriptures. A lot of them are Gentiles, but, but he's also speaking to Jewish people and he wants them to see that Jesus is connected to their story. He's connected to our story. Jesus' story is the story of humanity, but it's also the story in particular of the Jewish people because Jesus came first to the Jews. So he puts this, this lineage in there so that we're all reminded that the, the story of humanity is connected to the story of Christ. But then specifically, he, he, he puts this, this genealogy there to remind people where they've come from, who Jesus is, and that he is indeed the Messiah, and he's going to set right what's been wrong, but he, and he's going to use Scripture, the Scripture that the, the, that the Jews know very well, he's going to use Scripture even to counter the temptations of the devil. And the most important part of the history of the Jewish people is not, it, it is that God chose them and made a people out of them, but their biggest thing that they go back to so often is Passover, to the, the time when they were captives and the Lord set them free. He brought them, he, he brought them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, or the, yeah, through the Red Sea, and then, um, and then they wandered around for 40 years, and that's how God crafted a people out of them. And that's why Jesus goes back when he's countering the devil, he chooses those Deuteronomy passages. 
So it reads like this in chapter 4 of Luke. Jesus, full of the Holy... This is right after he's baptized, right after the genealogy is spoken. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the... Uh, excuse me. From the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them... <laughs> I love Luke. He was hungry. You ever fasted for 40 days? I know one guy who has. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And then Jesus quotes back to him, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. It is written, man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it, is, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. Not completely true, but that's what the devil does. He twists. So if you worship me, I'll be yours. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil led him up to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, the devil quotes scripture. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift up in their hand, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. It says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Now, if you've, if you've been around the church for a long time, you've heard many a message on the temptations. And we could go into how he countered um, the temptations of Adam, because all of the, the, the temptation of Adam, when Adam, uh, when Adam and Eve were tempted, what, what, what the devil said, what the serpent said in the garden— there's nuance in all of these things. Yes, Jesus is doing, he's doing what God would have him do, the father, the way that Adam did not, because Adam was a coward. Adam, in the moment, decided, I'm going to do what's easy. I'm not going to do what's hard. I'm going to do what's easy. I'm not going to do what's right. I'm going to do what I believe is pleasing to my wife instead of stand firm and consult with the Lord first. One difference that you could notice in these temptations is where was Adam when he was tempted? In paradise, right? In the garden where he would walk with, talk with, he knew and he loved the Lord and the Lord walked with him, talked with him, knew him and loved him. He had everything that humanity in our deepest core what we desire. Jesus is tempted not in splendor, but in want, in an arid area, lots of rocks, no food, probably very little water, the devil himself comes and tempts Jesus to take the shortcut. And he doesn't. What does he do? He, 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 he knows Jesus is the Word of God, so he wrote the Word of God. He knows his scriptures because it came from him. But even in his, all of his humanity, when he's, he's crying out, he still decides, no, nothing but the word of God, nothing but who I came to serve. I will do nothing but the will of the one who sent me. So Luke, 
Jesus, but Luke is the author here. Luke is trying to communicate to you and I, to the Gentile people, to the Jewish people, to all the people, really one thing. Humanity is called to one thing, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to obey every command that he's put before you. And while the people of God have spent a lot of time not doing that, Jesus spends no time not doing that. All he does is what the Lord, the, the God of the universe, the Lord our God, Yahweh our God, would have him do. Now, but this is before his ministry began. And if you watch, if, you, if you've been watching the show The Chosen, there's some critiques here and there of it, but they're doing a really good job. If you, if you watch it, you will see more of the humanity of Jesus than divinity of Jesus. And I think, honestly, the people that interacted with Jesus, if you watch through the book, if you, if, as you read through the book of Luke, you will see that people, they're not sure of who he is. So it must be that Jesus was so fully human that his quote-unquote divinity didn't always show through. His faithfulness did, his obedience did, but, but there's enough confusion with people that they couldn't, he wasn't walking around as you always see in the stained glass and the paintings with a big kind of halo around him, right? He wasn't, he, and he wasn't always standing like, he didn't have blue eyes and blonde hair. He was kind of swarthy. He looked Jewish. He walked everywhere he went. He didn't shower every day like we do. He was a man, fully divine. I'm not countering that at all. Fully divine. But as people interacted with him, he was a man. And when the devil himself interacted with him, he didn't treat him as if he's divine. He treated him as if he's the one that's going to come and take back what the devil thinks is his. And Jesus, in humanity, decides to be faithful to the Father and to the Word of God instead of to do what he wants. He chooses to do what the Lord, our God, wants, not what he wants. And I, and I, I can say this with certainty because they wouldn't be called temptations if it wasn't an actual, if he wasn't actually tempted to do what the devil asked him to do. Forty days, no food. Jesus could snap a finger and turn a rock into, into bread. Forty days, no food, knowing and Jesus signing up as the second member of the Trinity, signing up for what he knows is going to happen in the next three years. He's going to be rejected by his own people. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be, he's going to be tried. He's going to be convicted. He's going to be hung on a cross. He's going to die. The God of the universe in human form is going to die so that we are saved. And what is it for? to save every people on the planet. And the, and the enemy says, just bend a knee, man. I'll give it to you. Take the shortcut. And you're very happy about this. I'm not God. I would not want to be a part of a world that I was God over. But if I were God... And the enemy of God put me on the edge of the temple, about a 250 to 400, 400 foot drop, and said, just hop, just, just step off. If Jesus can walk on water, if he can go shh to a storm, and it quiets, you think that he can't step off 
the highest point of the temple over the Kidron Valley and not just levitate and ease his way down, whether angels come or not. You think that Jesus, the God of the universe, who has a master over, who is the master over the laws of physics, you think he can't just take a step and just walk across the sky, come down, do the little superhero landing? If I were God, I think I might, that one I might do. Because it gives you immediately the sense that there's something special about this guy. He's one to listen to. But Jesus, as the son of man, also the son of God, but if he's going to make right everything that Adam put wrong, he has to live the life that humanity is supposed to live and not put God to the test, not obey anything, not bend a knee or a will to anything except for God, and to understand that man does not live on bread alone, but by the very word that comes from the mouth of God. And so he said, no. Now notice that the devil... I love this. It says that he left him until an opportune time. He's not done with Jesus. In fact, after this next story, you see him interacting with people that are possessed by demons, people that are afflicted by disease. We'll talk more about that next week. But Jesus himself says no to the miraculous for me. Yes to the miraculous for you. So Jesus chose to do what comes natural to the Father and not what comes natural to humanity. And you've heard that from me over the last couple of years quite often. And I want to remind you here, when you read through the book of Luke, you'll notice that Jesus, not only in what he does, but also in what he calls others to, that he's perpetually reminding us not to do what comes natural to us, but to do what comes natural to God. Because we are not made to just satisfy our wants, our desires, our lusts, and our cravings, but we are made to represent the Lord our God, to obey every command that he's put before us. And to show others who God is by how we behave. Jesus, according to Luke, with this temptation, it's reminding everybody that Jesus' story is the story of humanity. He's going to set right what we set wrong. And then he goes off to Nazareth, Nazareth, where he was, where he, where he, where he was born, where he was raised up. Nothing good can come from Nazareth. And he walks into the synagogue, as is his practice. Here's how it reads. I'm about to just quote it from memory, but Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. So on his way to Nazareth, he's, he, he, he's developing a following. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read, he stood up to read, and the, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the, the year of the Lord's favor. Now, pause there for a second. That's from the prophet Isaiah. But that's what Jesus says. He says that he's come 
to fix what's broken. And we often forget the last part, the year of the Lord's favor. Is it 365-day year? Some would argue, yeah. But in the Reformed traditions, we have this, this delayed parousia, this already not yet, that Jesus came and he ushered in the kingdom, and it is already here, but it's not yet complete. He fulfilled prophecies and promises of God in the person of Jesus. But not all the promises and the prophecies of God have been fulfilled. For example, the meek will inherit the earth. Have we seen that yet? Have we seen the peacemakers be blessed? Have we seen those that are poor in spirit? Being comforted? Some of it. Already. Not yet. But Jesus, when he walks this planet and he speaks to people, when he's in his own hometown, he says the year of the Lord's favor is now. And then he sits down, which I'm sure that some of us would love as preachers if we would stand up, read, and then sit down. We might get done quicker. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I would think that that would be the point that people would get upset because he's saying, I am the son of God. I am Messiah, the Messiah. I am the one that Isaiah was talking about. But that's not their response. All spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? And then Jesus said to them, because this must be said, Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to the widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Just so you know, if you want to look at that story, 1 Kings chapter 17. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. By the way, that's 2 Kings chapter 5. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, took him to the brow of the hill of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. We know this story. We kind of like it. And I will say, and I'm not, look, I am not, I'm not, uh, what's the word? I'm not endorsing this show, The Chosen, but this scene, they did a great job with They take him to the edge of the cliff. He looks up to heaven. He gets reassurance from the Father. And he calls three people by name and he says, I don't remember their names, but he says their names. And he goes, this is not happening today. And he walks away. They let him leave because Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, God with skin on, speaks with authority. And you cannot Even the devil cannot disobey him when he's speaking with authority. And he looks them in the eye and he he walks away. So what is it about this story? He's telling us that the prophet Isaiah is speaking of a moment in time for such a time as this 
when the Messiah comes. And he says, folks, it's here. He's telling them their story. He's telling them that the time that they've been waiting for, the thing, they put, they put their hope in the Lord, Yahweh, they did, but, but their hope for redemption, their hope for salvation, their hope for, it was all pinned on the Messiah. It was all pinned on the promised one, the anointed one of God. It was all pinned on one who will sit on the throne of David forever, one who will, who, who will bring them back and reconcile them to God once and for all, and, that will be, and then they will be a beacon, a light on a hill to all people. And he's telling them in his own hometown, what you've been looking forward to, what you've been hanging on to, what you've been hoping for is now, it's here, it's me. And isn't this Joseph? Man, look, he, he, he grew up. So then he has to say it. You don't see it, folks. You can't see it because I'm one of you. And he tells them about how God in the past has decided to bless people that aren't Jews because no one, none of the Jews were following God at the moment. That, that first Kings 17 thing, that whole Elijah thing. Remember he went to Ahab and he told him that there was going to be a famine and then he went off for three and a half years and, and, and had, was fed by birds. Three and a half years, you and God alone. Think about that. When's the last time you, just you and some crows for three and a half years. I mean, I think that Elijah, when he headed off after he spoke to, 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 to Ahab and told him a famine was going to come, I think he's like, yeah. And God goes, hey, you need to go hide because they're going to, mm-mm. And he goes, yeah, yeah. So he runs off. And then, and then he's like, yeah, me and you, God, me and you, God. And after three and a half years, like, me and you, God? And then he sends him off to a widow who's about to die. And he, the word he gets from the Lord is to tell the woman to make some bread, well, this is all we have. Make it, your bread's not going to run out. So he gives hope to those who have none. But to those who hang on to the hope of Yahweh, those who hang on to the hope of God's people, can't receive the very hope that they've been looking forward to. Jesus' story is our story, and Jesus' story is the story of the people of God. And you, my friends, are now the people of God. What is your response to him? They rejected the very one that they were hoping for. They didn't understand yet, but they still rejected the very one they were hoping for. He came to his hometown and told them their story. And they told them that their story is about to be fulfilled, and they tried to throw him off a cliff. This isn't happening today. It's not what his words are, but that's how it was portrayed. So folks, I love you. I hope you know that. I've been with you 10 years. We can all get so accustomed to what we think Christianity is. We can all get so accustomed to what we think religion is. But sometimes we turn it into religiosity. This is not an accusation. It's a reminder. It's the same kind of thing that Jesus is saying to his Brethren, the people he grew up with, the people who knew his father before he passed. There's a church historian, uh, Tertullian, that, no, Pelican, that says this. He says, tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. Jesus walks into his hometown 
and says, folks, come alive. Wake up. I want to show you what you've been waiting for, and I'm it. And they decide to chuck him off a cliff. He told them their story, and they rejected who God called them to be by rejecting the one God called to save them. How about you? Do you live on the very word that comes from God? When Jesus says in John 15, if you, or John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Are we seeking all of his commands so that we can keep them, so that we can communicate to him how much we love him? Or are we just going through the motions? Because the people of Israel at the time that Jesus walked the earth, not all, but the ones who knew, the ones who were familiar, the ones who were practicing their religion, they were going through motions that weren't the motions of God. And they decided that the word of God made flesh. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to know it. We don't want to receive it. In fact, we'll reject it. You and I have the revealed word of God. Do we love it? Do we receive it? Do we crave it? Or do we go, eh, I know the stories. I will remind you of one thing. Last week, those of you who were here, you heard a message on a passage that you've probably never heard a message on before. The genealogy according to Luke. It was read from the pulpit. And me and you go, oh, really? But some people heard something in that message last week that changed something and made something new in them. Even the most boring, frustratingly, what's the word I'm looking for? Just son of, son of, son of, son of, tedious passage can have power because it is the word of God. Jesus was the word made flesh walking around and he said to the people, I am who you're waiting for. And they said, nope. He's saying the same thing today. I am who you're waiting for. What do you say? Yep. Everything I got, I'm going to sell out. I'm all in. Or, yeah, I'll go through the motions. Be a good person. We'll leave it at that. <clears throat> As a minister of the word of God, I have to say, we'll leave it at that. Isn't faithfulness. All in, no matter the cost, because he came to save. If he's for us, who can be against us? That, friends, people whom I love, that is what Christ called us to. That is why he came. He didn't come just to let us, to give us fire insurance or eternal life insurance. He came to change the world through you and through me. How are we doing? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the story of the Israelites. Thank you that you walked them through the desert, that you 
tested them, that you allowed them to grow hungry so that they could see that, they, that you will provide. And Lord, thank you for the person of Jesus who walked with us and talked with us and knew us and loved us and still does. Thank you that he called us to repentance, that he called us to say, I'm all in, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. Lord, help us. Give us the courage, the determination, and the ability to love you with everything we have, to be whose we are before we're who we are. We pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen.